As we continue this series, uh, House of Cards, and we look at a card that can cause the house to come crumbling down and building a foundation that lasts a lifetime, we've addressed some real issues in the families that we live in and that we know. And today um, will be another real issue. And this issue can really make or break a family. It can make or break a single person. It can make or break a home. And if we don't get this one down, then you will see all kinds of havoc and destruction. Um, It's one of the leading indicators for divorce. It's our finances and how we handle our finances. And, And even time... Every time you talk about the word money in a church, everyone wants to open the doors and leave. Like there's, like, but the reality is this, Jesus talked about it a lot in the New Testament. We almost want to make it one of those things that it's taboo, that we don't talk about it and say, hey, it's none of your business what I do with my money. And almost even to God, like, God, it's none of your business what I do with my money. Yet in reality, it is God's business because everything is the Lord's, and Scripture tells us that. And So today my hope is this, that we move it from that thinking, it's none of your business, to it is God's business, and he does care how we care for his money. Let let me show you how we live that out. Uh, Two weeks ago on a Monday, I was traveling to Akron, Ohio, to meet up with two other pastors, uh, Jeff Bogue and Newt Larson, and the three of us together are collectively doing um, a monthly resource for pastors called Pastorpedia, where... We talk about issues in the church, and each of us respond to it. We rebut what the other person is saying, and we kind of throw it out there as a tool for pastors across America, pastorpedia.com. And and so this past week, uh, or two Mondays ago, we got together, and we were doing some videos of of us talking about subjects regarding the local church and what pastors and their families face. It It was a great time for me to learn from these men and to them to invest in me, and hopefully they learn from me. But on my way there, I was, I was traveling to Akron, Ohio. I was on the toll road, and I noticed this hitchhiker that was on the road, and he had a backpack on, and I figured, hey, I'm by myself in my Jeep. I, I think I'll pick him up. So I pulled off the side of the road and, and uh, let this hitchhiker in, and he had a backpack, and he put the backpack on the floor, and we're driving down the road, and I'm conversing with him and trying to find out who he is, where he's gone, and and I noticed that he was kind of nervous with this backpack, and every so often he'd go down and grab it and, and look at it. And so out of the corner of my eye, I'm watching him as I'm driving, trying to put myself in a protective mode. And I noticed he picked this backpack up, and he put it on his lap, and, and he held it close to him. And so that got my antennas up even more as I'm watching this guy, wondering what's in his backpack. And so I just point blank ask him, after asking him a bunch of questions, hey, what's in your backpack that you so nervously keep going after? And he looked at me and said, it's none of your business. I was thinking, okay, I think it is my business. And so I'm driving down the road a little farther, and I'm beginning to think, you know, know, the antennas go up when someone says that, and they're sitting in your passenger seat. And as I'm driving down farther, I think, is there a button that I could automatically hit the airbag? You know, kind of just hitting just... uh, in any case, uh, I asked him again as we're traveling down the road. I asked him, I said, so I have to ask you again. I said, you're my passenger. I'm driving. I'm helping you out. What's in your bag? And he said, it's none of your business. So I realized that I needed an exit plan um, to remove this guy from my vehicle. And so I noticed that the next entrance or the next exit, there was a gas station. So I said, hey, I got to get some gas and pulled off the road and pulled into this gas station, and so I figured I would get out 
of here and, and start pumping some gas and think about what would happen. And I noticed as I got out to pump gas, which is on the driver's side, he got out too, and he left his backpack in the vehicle. And, you know, that just seemed like a prime opportunity uh, to... <laughs> so I cashed out on my gas and uh, put it in, and he was inside, and I noticed he's inside, and I drove away, just drove away and went on down the road for the filming. Grab your Bibles and turn to Psalm chapter 24. Psalm chapter 20. What's wrong? Got you right here, don't I? What, what do you want to ask me? It's none of your business. That was truly a fabricated story to, to create a point. That that's how we treat God's money sometimes. That God, he's looking at us, and it's none of your business. You'll never forget that story. Hey, turn to Psalm chapter 24. Psalm chapter 24. It's fun to have you right there. Just, just right there. Psalm chapter 24, if you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Our ushers will be glad to put one in your hand. But sometimes that's how we treat the money that God has given us. It's like, God, I'm traveling along with you, and, and he wants to ask, what are you doing with my money? And, 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 and you're saying, hey, God, it's, it's none of your business. This is my money. I'm going to do with it what I want. And we actually just kind of try to ignore God instead of realizing that there's another truth that supersedes that it's none of your business. Stand with me. We'll read from Psalm chapter 24 and verse 1. Psalm chapter 24 and verse one. Psalm 24. The rest I'm going to tell you is truth, by the way. You don't have to wonder if it's the truth. Um, Psalm chapter 24 and verse 1. Let's read this out loud together. Ready? Read. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let's read it again, but read it slower and let it really just sink into your heart. Ready? Read. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. You may have a seat. How much is the Lord's? What in the earth is the Lord's? So what part about everything isn't everything? Like what piece, possession, thing that you have in your house, what bank account, what resource isn't God's? All of it is God's. The psalmist here says the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. I mean, all through scripture, you see the silver and gold is the Lord's. Everything is the Lord's. Every single thing that you have in your home, every single piece of clothing that's in your closet, every gun that's in your gun cabinet, now I'm getting personal, is is the Lord's. Everything is the Lord's. Everything. There's not one thing that you and I will ever have on planet earth that isn't the Lord's. Yet when it comes to our personal finances, we don't operate, most of us don't operate like it's his. Like somehow it's, it's ours to take care of, yet it's not God's. And, and, and so we just kind of look at God and say, God, it's none of your business what I'm doing with it. Now, I'll give you this area and I'll give you that area. But when it comes to money, God, this one here, I'll take care of. And so many people operate as, those, as though they think that it's not the Lord's. In fact... It's so bad that because of that, this is the financial condition in our world. I mean, just listen to some of these stats I ran across. This is September 2014. Um, the U.S. Census Bureau, Bureau Report, Internal Revenue Service reported that 
The average American savings account balance is $3,800. And let me just pause a second. That's for homes that are in debt and homes that aren't in debt. So that's taking both homes, homes that aren't in debt and homes that are in debt. The average savings of both of those homes is $3,800. So just imagine what it is for a home that is in debt. The percent of Americans, working Americans, who are not saving for retirement, 40% of Americans aren't saving for retirement. The percent of American families who have no savings at all, like no savings, is 25%. Now that is the indebted families and the families that aren't in debt. 25%, that's the average. It'd be a lot worse if we were just talking about the indebted families. The average amount saved for retirement overall for both family households, $35,000 is the average amount of resources, money that's saved for retirement. The average American household debt for both debted families and or without debt and with debt is one hundred and seventeen thousand nine hundred and fifty one. The average American home value is one hundred and sixty thousand dollars for both in debt and not in debt. The average amount owed on a home mortgage for both homes together mixed is $95,000. For homes that are in debt, it's $153,000. The average American household income with both households, $43,000. The average credit card debt for both households, $2,200. For a household that's in debt, $15,670 is the average credit card debt for a household. The percent of American workers who postponed their retirement age this year because they didn't have enough to live on, 24% in both homes. The percent surveyed who are very confident about having enough money for retirement is only 18% of homes that are in debt and not in debt. The percent of American adults who do not have a bank account for both homes, households, 7.7%. The average student loan debt, $32,656. So truth of the matter is this. We have some financial difficulties in our world. And if we don't manage our money in a proper way, those statistics won't change. Yet, somehow in our minds, when it comes to money, we want to say, I got it under control, that I can do this. And the statistics are proven that we don't do a very good job without proper management of our money. The handling of money impacts every part of your life. And so let me just begin by saying this. It's not your money. Like, Jim, it's not your money. The earth is the Lord's and everything. Like, like, if we get just that one down, like, if you left today and said, my, my money is not my money, it's God's money. All my possessions are his. Like, my children, everything, they're his. If we just got that one down, it would radically change the way we live and the way we handle the finances. If we got that very truth down, it would change our financial state. You would say your savings is not yours. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Your paycheck is not yours. Your retirement saving is not yours. Your emergency fund stash is not yours. Your bonuses are not 
yours. Your car is not yours. Your farm is not yours. Your business is not yours. Your gun collection is not yours. Your precious moment collection is not yours. Your gold coins are not yours. Your wardrobe is not yours. Your home, your children, your dog is not yours. Your cat, can't believe that one, is not yours. Your motorcycle is not yours. Ooh, I stepped on some toes there. Your vacation home is not yours. Your cash is not yours. Your shoes, your granite kitchen tops, your garden, your parents' car, your neighbor's weed whacker that you borrowed six months ago is not yours. Your buddy's chainsaw that you've had in your house garage for six years, it's not yours. Your calling, yes, everything is his. Nothing you will ever possess is yours. God lets us manage his resources, his property, and his possessions. There is not one passage in the Bible, not one, not one passage in the Bible where God transferred ownership to us. It's all his. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. You see, when that truth sinks deep into your heart, it begins to shape how you live on earth much differently. It just does. Like, well, this isn't mine. That's not mine. That's not mine. I can't say it's none of your business. It's his business because it's his stuff. It raises an awareness of responsibility. It forces you and I to ask this question. How can I best honor God with all that is his? Like, so everything you have, like everything that, that, that you've ever bought, everything you'll ever own, it forces us to ask the question, how can I best honor you, God, with yours? Like, this is your stuff. This is your money. This is your retirement. This is your savings. These are your kids. This is your home. This, these are your shoes. These are, I mean, just put it out. It's all his. And if it is his, and it is, Scripture says, the owner has rights to ask you, what's in the bag? What are you doing with that? We are the stewards only. We are the managers of his stuff. Pause for a second and answer this question just internally. Is God pleased by the way you're taking care of his stuff? Like, is he? Like, think about this last week. Is, is he, like, would he look over this last week and say, wow, you did a good job of caring for my cash this week. You did a good job of caring for my home this week. You did a good job of caring for my kids this week. You did a good job of caring for my business this week. You did a good job of caring for, you re- handle with great responsibility these things that are mine. You see, this becomes a major problem when we really think it's our money and our resources. And we do not consult the owner on the way to spend and use his resources. Like, it shapes everything. Like, even the money that's in your pocket right now. Like, the choices you'll make for lunch this afternoon. Like, where you'll go tomorrow. Everything. Like, it forces us to ask the owner, what was best What is the best way to take care of your stuff? Let me ask you another question. When is the last time you just even prayed this prayer? Lord, I long to be the best manager of your money before I spend it. Show me the best way to use it. Like, 
when is the last time you seriously, like, instead of just going through the motion, pay this bill, pay that bill, eat here, buy that, I need some shotgun shells, I need to enter this race, I need this, I need that, oh, I need this TV to watch Notre Dame, I need this. And, I mean, when is the last time you just pulled away before you purchased anything, 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 before you went to Goshen football game and bought a hot dog or a pork burger at the Fairfield game? Well, I mean, did, did, when is the last time you just prayed, Lord, show me how I can be the best manager of your money before I spend it, show me the best way to use it. When's the last time you did that before you went grocery shopping? Can you imagine? Can you remember the last time? When is the last time you did it before you hit submit order on Amazon.com? When is the last time you did it before you invested in a retirement fund? When is the last time you did it before you went to your favorite recreational place and got on that super fast roller coaster? Lord, is this the best way to use your money? When is the last time you did that before you signed up for your next road race? When is the last time you did that before you drove through the Starbucks drive through Lord, show me the best way to use your money. I got to believe if we did consult him on everything, because it is his, there would be a lot less money problems. Don't you think that God has some guidelines like, Don't you think the God of the universe who owns everything? Don't you think, like, if we went to Father, Abba Father, and said, hey, King Jesus, like, can you give me some guidelines here? Like, like, this is all yours, and I'm just, like, managing it. Don't you think the owner would say, this is what I would like for you to do with what I have given you to care for? Don't you think that's a good thing to do? Yet most of us live as though it's not his. Like, God, this is none of your business, Yet the proper handling of our money will impact our future in a great way. And it could make or break your home. So God, his guidelines are very clear. I mean, they're so clear that we don't like them. Like, I mean, he couldn't speak any more clearly. Like, here's the the clear guidelines. Like, everything you have, here it is. Here's the clear guidelines. Like, here it is. This is what you need to do. And yet we say, God, it's none of your business I have better guidelines. Well, let me show you what some of his guidelines are when it comes to money. Turn to Malachi chapter 3. Just, it's the last book of the Old Testament. It's where all the pages stick together. You, don't, you rarely have your devotional time here. But turn to Malachi chapter 3. Now, this is for everybody. This is for children. This is for college students. This is for single, married this is for widowed. This is for everybody. These are the guidelines that God has. These, like, this is what we should do with our money. It's so important that I've given you guidelines. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 6 says this. I, the Lord, do not, what? Change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me... And I will return to who? You, says the Lord Almighty. Powerful, powerful truth. But you ask, how are we to return to you so that you will return to us? In other words, how can we get you on our team? And so, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And then it says this, do what in this? 
test me in this or try me in this, some versions have, says the Lord Almighty. So he throws out a test. Like, hey, if you don't believe me, then try this. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much what? What's the word? Blessing that there will be, there will not be room enough to store it. Now, that's a lot of blessing. Like, like purely. That's like, you mean to tell me that you're willing, God, to open the floodgates and give us so much blessing that it'll be way more than what you need. Like, stop and pause a second. Like, who doesn't want that? I tell you who doesn't want it. Those who say, God, this is none of your business. I can do a better job than you can with your resources. And then he goes on to say this. Not only blessing, verse 11, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your field will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will even call you what? Blessed. For yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. I really wish like 30% of you didn't check out right now and saying, oh, this is Old Testament stuff. Can I? In fact, let me out of here. I don't like talking about money in the church. The reality is Jesus talks about money over and over and over and over again. And the reason he does is because this is the very thing that will break down the strongholds if you get it in your relationship with him, with your family, and with others. If you are living in such a way where you're not using God's consultation, if you're not understanding that he's the owner, then listen, he will devour your home. He'll allow the devourer Satan to come in. And you won't be receiving what God has intended to give to you. These guidelines will set you onto a path to financial freedom, not bondage. Like, listen, when you obey God, it's not like it's going to put you in bondage. Yet many will remain in bondage because they refuse to operate within these truths. God longs to have a right relationship, and he's given us counsel here. He tells them in verse 7, you've sinned against me, so repent of it. And in verse 8, He says, you've been robbing me. And since you've been robbing me, you need to get it right. You need to repent of this. Seriously, it's like us saying to God, if we don't consult him and allow him full ownership of all we have. It's like we're saying we are better off without you and our finances. And right now, when I talk about finances, people are checking out. Oh, that's just a church. Oh, they want money. No, I don't want money. This is God's money. We, it's like we're saying we are better off without God in our finances. Let's talk about the tithe quickly and, and just w- what a tithe is. It might be for some of you, you're newly saved. You just come to Christ and you like a tithe. That's not even a word that we use. A tithe is one-tenth. It's a numerator one over, over the denominator 10. It's 10% of the gross that comes in. It's taking 10% of everything that you earn. And it's saying the first part of that is God. And so all God is asking is 10%. An offering, by the way, is completely different than that. Tithe and offerings aren't the same thing. And you often hear Pastor Jeremiah, he'll say, hey, we're about ready to take our tithes and offerings. Tithes is the first 10%. An offering is above that. It's anything above the 10% that you're giving to the place that's teaching you and feeding you the local church. We have no problem with the government doing it. I mean, do you think the government, like, like, like they take it off and we, we, we don't, we might not like it, but 
We're not going to stop it. And so the government doesn't take it off the net. They take it off the gross. They take their percentage and they take it from your paycheck. It is a reference to the local church that place that feeds you and teaches you. A tithe is an immediate gift to symbolize that God is the owner of everything. And in Deuteronomy, it was a tenth of their crops immediately sorted out and given to God. To us, it's 10% right off the top. Okay, for everyone in the room right now that wants to come back, and maybe on the internet that wants to come back and say, hey, Pastor Jim, that's Old Testament. Like, hey, move over a page or two, would you? Get in the New Testament. And I, you know, I've heard those arguments, and, I, and I, 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 I'm grateful that, that you looked at Scripture. Yet, when I hear that, when you say that the Old Testament no longer binds us, when Jesus came, he abolished the law. Well, this tithe principle predates the law. Did you realize that? Like, this, this principle was around when Abraham gave 10% to Melchizedek. It was way before the law. Just like the Sabbath predates the law, God worked and rested one day. So if we have a problem with that, well, well if you want to go there, how about the Sabbath? Like the Sabbath, like that's, that's an Old Testament. Let's don't do that one either. Why is it like we get to pick and choose? No. This even predates the law. Plus, why would God ever, seriously, expect less from a New Testament Christian when he always raised the bar in the New Testament than he did from a poor Israelite? Plus, it's been practiced. Okay, what's another way, Pastor Jim? How do we know this has been around? It's been practiced in the local church for hundreds of years. You realize in 1516, 500 years ago, at the Council of Trent, if you didn't tithe, you were excommunicated from your church. It postdates the law. Plus, the grace of New Testament theology doesn't abolish giving. Things like, well, God will understand You bet he'll understand if you don't give. He knows what robbery is. So some of you will even say, well, at least I'm doing better than I used to. Like, well, God, like this week, I can't do it because, and God, that week, not next week. And, and, you know, I've been doing it for a while and I'm pretty good. Like, Like, I've hit like 26 out of the 52 weeks. That's pretty good, isn't it, God? When God says, every time your resources come, 10%, like it's his. It's like saying to the Goshen police officer that's knocking after your door after you became a suspect for robbing the two local Walmarts in this community. And you look at him and say, well, officer, you know, I'm doing better. Last year I robbed 10 Walmarts. <laughs> you think he's going to say, oh, good job, you know, good job. No, that's ludicrous. Robbery is robbery. Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. There's so many other verses. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Do you really think, now just, just, just posture this thought for, just, just imagine this thought for a while. Do you really think God is going to leave you behind because you started giving a tithe? Like, do you think he's going to say, well, I'm not, I'm not going to help them out. Like, I'm not going to bless them because they're doing what they're supposed to do. You think he's going to, like, leave you behind because you're not giving? Look at the blessings attached to this verse. I mean, 
very, very powerful. Look again. Look what it says again in verse 10. Bring the whole tithe, the 10% into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord, or try me. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Think about that for a second, how powerful that truth is. God gets the first things right off the top. Not your direct TV bill. Not a new pair of shoes gets it first. Not your gym membership. Not your flat screen. Not your mortgage. Not your car payment. Not your NIPSCO bill. Not your golf membership. Not your vacation. You get the point. You see, God, when we give what is his, he blesses it. So we kind of get it reversed. Like, God, I don't have any left over. God, can you help me? I can't give this week. Like, it doesn't work that way. We have to step out in faith and trust him. We got to believe that being obedient, that God will provide for us. And it's not always a financial wealth gain. In other words, don't give out of what remains. It's not like Sunday morning when the offering comes, like, oh, I got $10 left. I was at the Notre Dame game yesterday, and I spent $54 on a hot dog and a Coke. But, man, it was a great game. It's, 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 it's taking that check that comes in and giving and then deciding, can I go to the Maryland game? Can I go watch Baltimore win the next two in Kansas City? That would be awesome. It's taking what is his and giving it to him, and then making responsible decisions with what is left. It has nothing to do with how much you make either. Some will say, you can give more because you make more. Like, it's easy for you to give because you make more money. Now, seriously, do you really believe that? Like, do you believe all of a sudden when you make more money, you're just going to start giving? Like, if it's not a pattern of obedience now, making more money is not going to make you obedient That's not an excuse to give less either. I'm making less, so I can't afford to give. Well, maybe it would change if you did become responsible. The crops seem to be getting eaten up here because they refuse to give. So these Israelites are robbing God. And that's how he sees it. I'm not saying that. That's what the word of God says. Here's what that means to you and me today. If you and I are not giving at least a tithe of every paycheck, then we are robbing God. This is an obedience issue. It makes no difference whether you're single, married, in college, not in college, in high school. It makes no difference where you're at or what condition. If you have income, your first 10% goes to God. And I believe it goes to the local church. And I believe after that, the offerings come out and go to wherever other place you want it to give. He says, test me in this and see if I will not give you so much that you will not be able to stop it. Right now, there are people in this room, if you could, you would stand up and say, yeah, Pastor Jim, yeah. I agree. And the reason you don't is because you humbly follow Jesus Christ. You have given since you've earned a paycheck, and you are reaping the benefits of obedience. This could be the turning point in your marriage. This could be the turning point in your home and in your singleness. This is where it could turn all around for you. Jesus isn't telling us to give generously because he wants us to sweat over it. 
He wants to bless over it. I have never met, seriously, I have never met a generous person and a regular giver to God that was in bondage. Never met him. But I have met many people who are in bondage to bills and debt and worry because they do not tithe. By the way, I have never met an ex-tither. I've never met one. I never met someone that started tithing that's an ex-tither now. And you know why? Because it's an obedience issue. And they see the benefits of having God manage their money. I've never met an ex-tither. Because partnership with God brings incredible blessing. Besides, do you really think 100% in you investing is better than 90% and 10% with God? See, see right now... Right now in this room, some of you are raising aware, yeah, but it's hard, Pastor Jim. Yeah, I got this bill with my kid. Yeah, Pastor Jim, the car broke down. Yeah, Pastor Jim, this came in. Yeah, Pastor Jim, I'm single. Yeah, Pastor Jim, I'm this. Yeah, Pastor Jim, listen, have you ever considered maybe the reason that you're, you're in such a dire situation is because you are trying to manage your money alone and you're not giving God? You gotta put him first and not say, God, come bless me in these decisions that I'm making in disobedience. It is ludicrous to think that way. Yet some of you will do that every single week. Like, oh, yeah, I was good for a while. Well, maybe it would change if you began to tithe. That seems to be the case here, by the way. I mean, as I look at this, their crops are being eaten up because they refuse to give. So these Israelites are robbing God. And that is how he sees it. This is an obedience issue. Besides, 80, 90% in God is always more than 100% in only you. There is a fine, imagine if there's a financial epidemic in our community. Who do you want on your team? Like, do you want someone to say, hey, can you come join my team and help me out? Like, like they're, not a, they're not giving to God and they're not giving, hey, can you come help me? Or, don't you want God on your team? Don't you want this partnership with God says, even though the, the economy is bleak, even though there's a recession, listen, we got God. You think God up above says, oh no, there's a recession. I don't know what I'm going to do with all the same amount of resources I had before it. No. But that's how you'll operate if you don't have God in partnership with you. I know many in this room that understand this principle. It's one of the very things that my parents passed down to me at a very early age. It's one of the gifts that they passed down. And be quite frank, this isn't to like bring any glory to anyone. Ann and I, we've tithed ever since we've known each other. Even when I went to college, if I made $25, I gave it to the local church. Even when I was a little kid, my parents taught me, hey, this is income, this is 10% that goes to God. We've done the same thing with our children. When they get income, you know what happened? 10% goes to God. And then they've been saving other offerings. Man, from the years, I mean, they've helped dig wells. They, they've rescued kids in Thailand. They helped just recently with the refugees in Iraq. And it was given out of their offering. It's like, it was an offering. It was an addition their tithe. And so what has happened, we're passing on these biblical principles of obedience that allows blessing to fall on them. Personal goal that Ann and I have, just putting it out there. We want to give as much to God as we do to the government. 
And so that's, a, that's, that's our desire. And you know what? Last year we did. We gave as much to God percentage as the government got from us. Now here's what I'm thinking. I wonder if the government could do a better job than God can. That's what we think sometimes. No. And God has blessed over and over. And you want to see freedom? You want to see reconciliation relationships? Listen, get rid of that cloud of disobedience. Somehow we really think, some of us think, well, I'll keep, 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 keep doing this. One of these days I'll tithe. Listen, you will never get there. Start today. It's not like you're going to be in a better financial condition one day that you're going to give more. Listen, let God open the floodgates and bless you with so much that you won't know what to do with it other than just keep giving it away. Do you really think God is saying, like, as he looks at your life, I'm going to be a little short this week, might not be able to help you out? No. I love how Malachi 3.11 says, I mean, this principle often gets lost in this discussion. Verse 11 says, I will prevent pest. I will stop pest from devouring your crops. And the vines in your field will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. I love the NAS, New American Standards Version. It says, then I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits. The devourer is a reference to Satan and his demonic host who seek to disgrace and ravage our marriage and families. In other words, God says, I will stop the devourer. I will prevent him from wrecking your home. I will prevent him from wrecking your business. I will prevent him from wrecking the workplace. I will prevent him from wrecking your investments. I will prevent him from wrecking your life. In other words, God's saying, I will stand guard and prevent the devourer. But if you don't do what I ask you to do, just you know what you've done? You've opened all the doors of your house and say, devour, come on in, wreck my family. Devour, come on in and wreck my finances. Devour, come on in and wreck my relationships. And God says, not only is there a blessing, I will prevent and rebuke the devourer from destroying your crops, your future, your dreams, your goals. Listen to me. In all seriousness, just, just pause. Don't even think that I'm here and I'm saying this and you're hearing it in church. Who wouldn't want that? Like, so, so you don't. Here's what you're saying. I don't want that, Pastor Jim. Like, I might be dumb, but I'm not stupid. Then we have the audacity to pray and ask God for help in our finances when we robbed him. It's like, it's like, like that officer that came to your house, he drives you back to Walmart, and you go into the service desk and and uh, you're getting ready to get locked up because you robbed rob two Walmarts. And you go up and you say, hey, go up to the service desk. And you see, hey, can I talk to the manager? Yeah, come here, come here. Hey, uh, I'm Jim Brown. I, I just robbed two of your Walmarts. Um, can you bail me out of jail? Like, who would do that? Yet, we have the audacity to believe that somehow God's going to bless our disobedience. So how does the devourer come in? Like, like, okay, Pastor Jim, what's that mean? Like, like, if I do open it up to the devourer, to Satan, how does that play out? And, and, and then how does God prevent? It's, it's like you get a new job. Have you ever, like, like you got a new job. It's like, man, you're making like $10,000 more in print. It's like you look at your check, and you get to the end of the year, like, 
man, I've been praying for a new job. I'm like, you get the new job, maybe you're making $20,000 more. It's like, and you get to the end of the year, it's like, I don't have any more money than when I had $20,000 less. Like, why isn't that, that I've made more money, but I don't have more money? Because the devourer has come. And how does that play out? Well, this car that might have been protected by God is now keeps breaking down. It's like, and now you see it, it's a lemon. Like, you paid this money for it, and man, you just had, it, it, it blew a, a rod. Now you got to put a new engine in it. You see, that's the kind of stuff that God prevents from happening. Or your dental bills. Like, why do my kids need braces? <laughs> well, maybe it's because the devourer has come. How come they're always sick? Like, why am I always in the doctors? Why am I having, like, all these surgeries? Like, what? Maybe because the devourer has come and God hasn't prevented him from attacking your family. Or how come everyone else gets like $150,000 or 150,000 miles out of their vehicle and I get like 60 and it's trash? Because maybe the devourer has come. Or why is my marriage such a wreck and I keep having these setbacks in my finances? Maybe because you've opened the door and let the devourer in. Or how come I keep looking four vehicles, and he gets the deals. I mean, he gets them 3,000 less than I do. Like, and I've been on the same Craigslist. He shows up, or she shows up, and the, the person says, hey, I've had 50 people call, but you know what? I'm going to sell it to you. Why? Because God has prevented the devourer, and he's blessing you. You see, you begin to connect all these dots and you see the favor and blessing upon God on your life. Listen, this isn't rocket science. This is obedience or disobedience. He promises to rebuke the devourer. He will tear down a stronghold that has been built. Do you want that? You see, not only do I want that, I want that for my children and their children. So I want to, as the father of the home, I want to live in such a way that I'm passing down favor to my kids for generation to generation. By the way, the blessing isn't always financial either. Your money should never measure your value. It comes in the peace you feel from being obedient. Isn't there just peace knowing right now that you're a faithful tither? Like, you're sitting there thinking, and you, if you could, you would just amen every single time. There's peace in being obedient. It comes in strongholds being broken down in your marriage. It comes in in watching these addictions drop that you've been struggling with. It comes when the dissonance in your heart is removed because of all the reasons you chose not to be obedient. And some of you right now are feeling that. That is removed when you're saying, Lord, I'm doing exactly what you want to. Come hell or high water, I know I've been obedient. It comes knowing that you have the favor of God being placed on your life. It comes in being able to bless others. Like, isn't it fun? Like, like, you know, you get to the end of the year, it's like, I don't even know how it took. Like, how did that happen? Like, my bills were more than my income. Like, somehow God just continued to put these people in your life and, 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 and bless more the little bit that you gave. And he just kept coming. And now, like even a couple weeks ago, you were able to give an offering to Iraq and continue to give the tithe. It's like, isn't it just fun to give? 
And you heard me say in a few weeks back, you know, just how can we see the needs in our world and have material possessions to do something about it and not have pity and compassion on people if we don't, the love of Christ isn't in us. Some of you wanted to give, and the reason you couldn't give is because you haven't been giving what is God's back to him. The blessing might be in a wayward child coming home that you've been praying for. The blessing might be a restoration of a relationship that's went south. The blessing might be in an unbelievable deal on a house or a possession that you've longed to own. The blessing might be able to, to give to some Iraqi refugees. Now just picture that for a second. Who are sitting in the desert 6,500 miles away who have run from ISIS, who find themselves in tents with no money along the side of the road. And some of these are Christians. It's these ISIS who have pushed these these refugees out who are believers. It's these believers praying because they didn't deny Christ and they've been faithful and obedient. It's them praying, Lord, please, God, send us help. Please, God, don't let my family stay out here. Please, God, winter is coming. Please, God, do something. And then think about this for a second. God scans the whole earth. Like, like the whole earth to help. Like, seriously, do you think these refugees would have pointed to Goshen, Indiana? Come, come on, come on. Do you think they would look and said, of all the places on earth, I bet right there, Goshen. And then even say, how about like New Paris too? Not Paris, but New Paris. Like, do you think, who would ever thunk it that 6,500 miles away, God would reach their needs and come back to our church? And why did he? Because he knew this, that this community was full of people who knew what they were supposed to do with his resources. Seriously. I mean, just pull away for a second and think about it. Just, just do it for a second. Now, if you could choose anywhere in our world, like, I bet that place will do it. That, that of all the places, like, boom, Goshen, Indiana. You know, for me, it's like, it's pretty cool, by the way. It's like, It's you. It's the people I stand in front of every Sunday that said, we can't sit here. God knew that you would step up and he gave you a chance. That is awesome. Let me ask you a question. How many of you couldn't jump in and give? Because you've been robbing God. How many of you gave but didn't tithe? That's called robbery. You can't provide the way God intended to if you don't give your resources to God. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8. This is a powerful reminder. I want you to give you the context quickly on this. 1 Timothy is Paul, an older believer, speaking and mentoring to a younger Timothy who's going to be a preacher. And he's, he's setting him up to win. Like, so when you read this, it's like, this is older believer, been down the road and saying, this is how you'll win, Timothy. And so he says this in 1 Timothy chapter 5, and he says this to Timothy. Anyone, verse 8, anyone who does not provide for their relatives or family, and especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than a what? Unbeliever or an infidel. I take this challenge seriously, as every husband in this room should. You and I are supposed to provide for our family. 
we're supposed to provide for them. And if I choose to have sinful choices in my life that harms the provision of my family, I've sinned. By the way, men, here's what this means. If you are physically able to, and I know in some cases you're not able to, and this isn't to you, but if you're physically able to provide for your family, then get a job. Get off your butt and storm the streets and the internet and keep searching until something comes up. Mooching off your wife and your mama isn't providing for your family. And I realize, don't misquote me. I realize in some cases you can't because of your situation. And often in many cases, and it's okay, both of you provide. But if you're not holding up your end of the deal, then you are worse than an unbeliever. We can't let this protection and provision and blessing be taken away from our families as the spiritual head of the family. So here's what I'll hear this week. There'll be some wife, some woman that'll say, I want to give, but my husband doesn't want to. He's not there yet. And he's, you're sitting here. Let me tell you something. Dude, listen. This is straight talk from me to you. You better lead your family the way God wants you to if you want the protection blessing on your family and the next generation. Live in obedience and trust God. So what are some practical things? Like, like people say, well then, Pastor Jim, how, how can I manage my money? Listen, this isn't rocket science. Go to Google and type in Bible, broke, and Christian. All three words. And you will see thousands of ways. You must have a budget. Very simple, yet few have one. We keep spending more than what comes in. Don't let your output be more than your input. Listen, that's not rocket science. That's just what you're supposed to do. Plus, remember, when you tithe, God God does more with your money than you could ever do on your own. Develop an emergency fund account. Never impulse buy. Never go to the grocery store hungry. Set an amount that you'll spend before you call your spouse. Don't, don't like hide it in the closet and wait till they're in a good mood and say, hey, baby, look what I bought. Make a list before you go shopping. This isn't rocket science. Don't window shop because you're bored. Did you hear me, ladies? Men, don't go to Menards. Don't go to Cabela's because you just want to see what's new out there. Don't dare go unless you know what you're going to buy. Because you know what happens? If you're like me, when I walk into Menards or Lowe's, like, in the tool department, I need need that. I don't need it. I often tell my wife, Ann, the reason I don't want to go shopping because I see all these things I thought I really didn't need. You know what we do for that comfort? Let's go shopping. Let's go shopping. I feel much better when I shop, 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 shop. What you need to do is chop, 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 chop your credit cards. (laughs) Don't wait another day to start tithing. Don't say, well, I'll get it together in December. Like, I got a bonus coming in December. I'll give 10% off. Listen, start right away. Pay off your credit cards little by little each month. 
If you want to build a home that lasts a lifetime, then you must get this one down. Otherwise, your house of cards will come crashing down. And here's what happens. It will leave you with the absence of God's protection on your finances. It will leave you sitting here like you are right now in this service with guilt and hypocrisy of knowing that you're not doing what God wants you to do and it'll leave you not hating me right now. It'll leave you with fear and confusion during hard times instead of having God in this partnership guiding you through. It'll leave you with the loss of blessing and provision and protection from God. So, what are you going to choose? It's not rocket science. It's obedience. The Bible has a lot to say about money. And I want you to just read these texts in closing, these scriptures.
Lord, I pray that we would take this to heart today. I pray, God, for favor and blessing upon our people here, your people here today. I pray that they wouldn't fight this. I pray that they would remove their excuses and they would just step out in faith and believe and trust you. God, I pray that we would see such a groundswell of giving that we would have to come here one Sunday and say, stop giving here, just stop giving. I pray, Lord, that you would be honored and given more glory because of the faithful obedience of your people. Thanks for this day, Lord. Thanks for the promises of your word. Help us to walk in faith and obedience. In Jesus' name, amen. See you next week. God bless you.